Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design and today we are speaking with Joe Gillies, Principal of architectural firm Arcasol and someone who in their own words aspires to create wonderful spaces largely based around the masculine and feminine principles within our built environment. Joe has had an interesting career and I've got to say possibly one of the most interesting architects I've interviewed so far and on top of that she's something of a minor TED Talk star I believe. So welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Joe Gillies. Thank you. Thank you for that great introduction and the journey I've undertaken to, to get here. And it's a pleasure to talk to you further about what we're creating. Okay, so on that point, I watched your TED Talk and it was, it was fascinating, actually. In, in fact, Thank you. it was probably one of the more fascinating ones on architecture I've, I've seen so far. Um, why do you say that architecture is one of the most undervalued things in our society? And wh what does that actually mean? And mm. on top of that, how do we put value back into society and its appreciation of, of architecture? So architecture has massive responsibility to how people live, how they work, how they interact, how they come together um, as humans. So architecture holds the space for people to contain their, you know, their emotions. I mean, everyone has an emotional response. You walk up to the Opera House and you go, oh my God, I love this building. I have an emotional response in this space. So when you think about it, in, um, emotion is energy in motion. So energy in motion is basically the feeling that you're created within you or induced within you that takes you into... Um, the space that you're exploring, the space you're living in, your sanctuary, your home, your you know building that you work in, and so they have a very significant role in helping to create an equilibrium, a harmony, a joy, um, all those elevated emotions, and it is a, a big responsibility for the architects to create that. So it's not just looking at the three-dimensional space externally it's how the space works from the inside out um, which is basically our emotions um, energy in motion architectural window systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia visit specifyaws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project there was one thing that that, that sort of stuck, stuck out for me you, you, do, you talk about that there's again the masculine and the feminine um, in architecture so centuries ago, um, this was a known facet of, of a lot of designs, particularly religious designs. Um, in more modern times, let's say post-industrial revolution, um, this seems to have perhaps been diluted somewhat. Then comes along someone like the late Zaha Hadid, the, uh, who was described apparently as a queen of a curve. Um, so... Bar that, is there a particular female and male aesthetic and does gender make a difference to design? Yeah, it's an interesting question because the theme of the TED Talk day that um, I've entered, um, uh, that I attended at was uh, all about gender. So it was, um, you know, does it take a female architect to design a masculine space or does it take a male architect to design a feminine space? which is all very stereotypical. So basically it's more of a, um, uh, a feeling, I guess, of understanding and what those tools are. So the ultimate is that, you know, balance within ourselves is 
understanding what you know what what kind of masculine energy looks like and what feminine energy looks like and then how we can translate that into a building so it's not just the built form it's the feeling inside it like you know sort of nurturing spaces or spaces to express yourself you know there's the the yin and the yang and how we you know sort of go into ourselves to to heal ourselves you know when we're being nurturing spaces or when we're expanding and we're we're connecting with people on stage or, or in an open space so it's 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 more how the tools of those spaces look and that's why it's important because the right balance of those tools that you use can actually create a space that is harmonious and balanced and people feel very calm inspired um, you know ignited they, they feel very positive emotions and that that is how you go about doing it is investigating those two principles. I mean, Zaha Hadid, for example, you know, she's the queen of curves. So was Oscar Niemeyer um, in, in Brazil. And, um, and he loved the female form. You know, he said, said oh, it's the epitome of beauty. Um, and Zaha Hadid is just like amazing in the way that she is that brings masculine and feminine principles together in the form, but also in the function. And I admire that because, you know, she um, was a high-profile architect in a very male-dominated commercial precinct. And um, she was able to use the power of intuition and the power of design conceptual thinking to a, a level which I totally admire. And I think that she has someone, and same with Oscar Niemeyer and a few other architects, that actually have nailed that beautiful balance between the two. And, you know, therefore there's like poetry in motion. The Nazi, basically that their direction was to intimidate and uh, you create architecture that makes people feel small and makes people feel like, you know, I've got this big power around me and I've got to... Power, power, power. power. Yeah. yeah, I've got to feel powerless around this, you know, powerful kind of intimidating architecture. So, yeah, so, you know, you they, they knew what they were doing. Um, they, weren't, they weren't silly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that kind of architecture can very much intimidate. And, you know, we've all been in spaces where we feel pretty revolting and we just don't like it and um you know it can be very cold and very dank and very dark um and it, you know we we instantly just want to get out of there very fast and you know like like it's the same with a street facade you know you go along and there's all these boring shop fronts and but there's no activation and there's no like interaction because we're social creatures you know we want to have that interaction and, and that ability to chat and talk because we are you know, as human beings, we like gravitating to, to talk and to interact and to connect. Um, so architecture that doesn't allow that to happen is irresponsible. Is another way of looking at it, but it's also um, might have been due to ignorance in the design process, but sometimes I, I feel like it's there to <laughs> intimidate, you know, <laughs> from past experience. I, okay, that, that's, that's actually interesting. So can I ask, what is the obsession with brutalism? Isn't that almost the same thing? I mean, <laughs> well, if you think about um, the Japanese architect Hadao Andao, um, he he did join that brutalist movement there for a while, but then some of his architecture went and took that kind of clean line 
strong, blunt kind of approach to architecture and brought a whole new level of softness into it, interestingly. Like he moved um, moved on from the brutalist area. And so like some of his churches and the way that the light comes in and the way that the concrete's detailed is, is you know, stunningly beautiful. And you walk in there and you actually feel at peace because of the proportion. And that also brings sacred geometry into it because... The golden, you, the golden mean, right? A golden mean. Like if you think about a shipping container, that's not golden mean. That's, that's um, I mean, the proportions are really, really uh, actually not created. I mean, obviously they're just for ships, right? Yeah. So, you know, like the golden mean has proportions that harmonize with the cells in our, our body. And so basically you feel much more at peace and more balanced in spaces that have sacred geometry applications to it in the way that the proportions, the height, um, and, you know, some of our older architects, stonemasons, knew that through some of the church building that they used to do. So, you know, you walk into Chartres in, in um, Paris and you feel intimidated and you want to get out of there. <laughs> I did and so did my husband last year. And then um, you walk into, you know, Montserrat in, in just outside of Spain, in, sorry, just outside of Barcelona. And you don't want to leave because the space is beautiful and the proportions are, are, are just, you know, perfect for being balanced and not being intimidated. And there's a certain sort of a energy and motion that you feel in that space that makes you feel inspired or makes you feel joyful. Yeah. Your TED Talk um, was quite surprising in some ways, um, and in many more ways it was it was both confronting and also unbelievably honest. Mm, thank um, you. <laughs> uh, it was it was an eye opener, and it was both um, heartbreaking and, and and uplifting at the same time. Mm, thank you. Um, uh, and it also it confirmed my fear of insects, but that's a, a whole a whole <laughs> whole another thing. Um, so uh, about your, you know, your your earlier life and your and your revelation of a child. In the, it was in Bahamas, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. I lived um, in the Bahamas for about five years when I was a child. In that part of the talk, you you bring up the concept of redemptive closure. Mm. Um, is this something that architecture can assist with? I mean, uh, go back to what I said earlier about about neo gothic Paris cathedrals, right? Um, Yesterday, they are they are made to make you feel small in the presence of the Almighty God, but at the same time, they they were supposed to uplift your spirit. Yes. Um, is this something that we have now in a modern sense that, that comes even close to that? It's actually well, really. Or can provide that? Yeah, that's actually a super interesting question because um, when people think of the word redemption, they associate it with religion. Mm. But, you know, religion per se is that, you know, redemption for me has been a journey of coming to peace with childhood, you know, stuff. And it's like um, the I'm, I'm handing it over to someone else. I'm handing it over to a higher force or universe or God or whatever you want to call it. But it's like a that closure brings you to a higher elevated platform of peace. And architecture can do that. And I think it's bringing back in spaces that are sacred. Um, 
and not just sacred, but sacred activities can happen within them, you know, like the old ceremonies that they used to do, especially the ancient indigenous. I mean, they had circle, you know, they used to sit around and talk. And so the shamans and in the Amazon, um, you know, they had sacred ceremonies that were basically honouring people's hearts and also honouring people's pasts. And I think that activity is missing in a lot of modern architecture. But I think also the the space for it to be held in, like, you know, when you've heard that, that kind of new age talk, which I'm not a new ager, don't think I'm a new age person. But when the new age groups say you've got to hold the space for someone, that basically means if their emotions are running or if they're sad or they're angry, you've just got to let them run with their emotions. So that's holding space. So when you've got an architecture, the architecture itself should hold someone's space for their emotions to come back to equilibrium. So that's the redemption process is coming back to the inner, inner peace. And I think for many people, it doesn't have to be what happened to me in my childhood. It could be, you know, like they, they were neglected because their father was absent and, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. And that, that had an effect on them. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, sort of like, like a, a, a big tragedy that you can be, that can still be tragic to them, but it was a smaller thing that happened to them compared to say what happened to my childhood. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so it's basically sometimes that opens up a path, a pathway to say, well, that's why architecture has so much responsibility because we've got to, we've got to, um, you know, create emotions that are uplifting and that's a big responsibility. And how does it look? You know, and I think there's certainly good modern architects out there that, that, that do it. But I think it, it it's uh do it they do it intuitively and they do it magically. But there's a lot out there because of the council system and the developers that just ignore that part of the architectural process and I think to their detriment. So I think it needs to be brought back in and I think it needs to be something that becomes entrenched in the university system that's taught perhaps as a subject or you know it starts to to reach people's social activities and how they interact and how they actually look around and go this building makes me feel good and I the wellness industry does touch on that a little bit you know how you feel but it can it can definitely be taken further I suppose um, the terms sacred and creative and don't go with the words council <laughs> very readily. Architectural Window Systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia. Visit specifyaws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project. So, so who are um, who would be? I mean, you know, your your star architects for you? Well, Zaha Hadid, um, love Teta Andel, love um, Oscar Niemeyer. Um, and there's a few, I mean, I, I've always been influenced by, um, you know, um, Alex Popoff. He was one of my tutors at university. Okay. Um, Alex Sands was one of my, my tutors at university. Very much a, a, a disciplined approach to the creative process from him. Um, and, of course, Glenn Merkett. You know, he was, his son, Nick, actually was, mm -hmm. um, uh, was in a couple of my, my studios. And, you know, we, we, we all got along really well and he was one of our tutors. And so there's a lot of, um, um, and also, you know, the, the usual, 
the usual crowd, you know, like um, um, Frank Floyd Wright, you know, because these guys are pioneers. They're pioneers of how we live and how we socially interact um, and how that space creates that. Like, you know, with one of, I love Frank Lloyd Wright when he says, you know, you unearth yourself when you come home. So how does that look? You know, is your porch lower so you unearth yourself and then you step into your sanctuary. And, and that, that is like shaking off the day before you walk into your house. And I've always remembered that. And also one of my favourite um, books and films by um, Arne Rind was uh, The Fountainhead. Okay. You know, because, you know, it's a, it's a principle, a principle of design. And it's... Um, well, it's almost the exact opposite, isn't it? Are we... I mean, I mean, Ayn Rand is is almost, I mean, the spirituality almost stripped back back bare to yeah. to being, you know, a, a f the functionality of it all, really. Yeah, but in the book though, it's about the creative principle. Right. Okay. It may it may or may not be my style or my direction, but it was the fundamental aspect of the the architects, you know, creating a um, a footprint of creativity. And, and how that was challenged through the system. It's just a very interesting story. And also, you know, like a, a lot of architects have read it and, you know, it's very influential in terms of understanding the creative process okay. and, and how you can honour the creative process. Um, not by bombing buildings, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that was just a part of the storyline. Mm. But, um, yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a fascinating process and the creative process really is alchemy. If you think about it, alchemy is taking lead and turning it into gold. Mm -hmm. You know, you're taking your current reality, which is I've got a crazy, crazy council. I've got, you know, a client that's that's a little stressed and I've got um, a budget that's that needs to be met. And, you know, and you're taking all of that and then turning it into the gold, which is the, the vision, mm -hmm. the outcome. And um, that's not an easy, that's not an easy pathway, but that is the creative process is taking everything into account so that you can, you know, get it to the to the end result. And that's, um, well, how does that look for each individual person and, or each individual architect rather. So I take, I do take my clients on the journey from, you know, the, the issues, problems, challenges, you know, whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. to the gold, to the end result. And, and that is a journey. And it can be hair, hair raising, like, you know, like you know we talked about today a bit of chip rock falling down on, on your head and um and we didn't plan for that and you know so what do we do um and so it's a it's a forever moving flowing process but as long as we don't lose um vision or the sight of our end result then it can meander off and become very mediocre so we will we're to set a very strong intention to have a an amazing outcome and it's not an easy journey, but it's a necessary one. Now for something completely different, or maybe not. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, after all, I mean, we, we've been talking about visions. We've been talking about um, how we see things. After all, windows and window design, something that... that, 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 that that has the, also has a power, at least on a superficial level, to provide a new perspective of how we view buildings and how we also view out of them, I suppose. Um, what are some of the latest designs and ideas that, w that are taking hold in window design? Because this is becoming 
important on a number of levels. First is for sustainability. For like yes. That, you know, uh, utilities. Yeah. You know, it's a very, it's a very um, uh, sensitive thing. You know, with the cost of living. So, so you know, um, what what are some of the trends that are, uh, that are happening in, in windows and windows and window technologies? If I can yeah. be broad. Well, you know, um, it's a good question. Uh, obviously, in Europe and um, certain parts of North America the double glazing or triple glazing systems are just an absolute given. Like a single pane of glass, they look at you and go, huh, um, I'm not computing, I don't understand <laughs> a single pane yeah. of glass. So that ability to, you know, double or triple glaze is actually where we all should be heading because of the um, thermal uh, thermal loss and the, the heat and cool loss gain. Right. And and um, the, the we that, lose... That's an R value, isn't it? Yeah, it's an R value. So... We want to increase our, our values so that we can have a high-performing building or a high-performing home. And how we do that through certain window technologies coming out, like Thermal Heart from AWS, for example, um, is the ability to minimise any of those uh, areas where you know, the cold can seep in and the, the warmth in the room can, can you know, seep out the other way. And it's drought-proofing, but it's also bridging the technology is called thermal bridging and it's quite a fascinating technology because it actually acts as like a total sealant but at the same time without you know kind of allowing damp in through through the building product itself and through the surrounding building products but you know like with the different window technologies coming out like it's quite exciting you can you know water you know, like like watertight uh, airtight um the airtight is very important because, you know, let's let's paint you a picture. Like, you know, my my old house that I'm living in now, <laughs> the architect with the old house that hasn't been renovated. Um, the dentist with the bad teeth. The dentist with the bad teeth. Yeah, the the plumber with the leak, leaking tap. Yeah, the, my mate, the carpenter whose doors are falling off here. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, we have this gap underneath our door. And if we didn't go to Bunnings and go and buy like a one of those rolled up sausages that go underneath <laughs> the door, we would have just the cold westerlies come seeping through the house and our energy bills would be massive. And, you know, basically we would be sitting there with 50,000 jumpers on and wondering why we're not warm, even though we've got a heating that system that, you know, goes up to 27. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's when you realise the importance of air tightness, especially in winter to keep the heat in, and then in summer you want to let the, that hot air that comes in, you want to let it escape. So it's not just the window technologies, it's the window placements in terms of passive principles and where you place them in the building. And, you know, the other thing too is if you've got always that architect's conundrum of um, you've got an amazing view and you don't want to block the view off with small windows. So, you know, how do you how do you open it all up but still keep it thermally appropriate, you know, um, to the view, especially if it's a south-facing view, which we seem to be getting a few of those designs lately. So that's why double glazing can work and the thermal heart, you know, um, process can work with the thermal bridging uh, because you're sealing in the heat and you're allowing the, 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 the heat to, to dissipate, in especially in, in summer. Um, and, you know, there's the, then you can still enjoy the view because one of the things when BASICs first came in, a lot of architects were getting really nervous to start with all those years ago because you know you don't want to block your views when you've just got this amazing mm -hmm. tree or view or water view or vista view to look at and all of a sudden you've you've got to perform to not just basics but natus so the products are now catching up 
which is a good thing because before they weren't. So there was these sustainable directions, um, you know, issued to us, but the products weren't catching up with those directives, but now they are and, and in some instances surpassing them. Let's talk about the testing and the issues of things like Section J and the now revised, is it, is it the National uh, Construction Code? Yes, the no. NCC. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, think, I think we actually did a feature on that um, a couple of um, magazines ago. Is this something that you think that has the power to change the design of windows further down the track? And will this help with things like energy savings, as well as you know lowering our energy costs you know, overall and ultimately, you know, as a society, and ultimately our carbon you know footprints i know that i know that uh, some people think that uh, that probably doesn't matter but um, i mean i guess every every bit of help does do you, so do you think that that getting the testing right well, firstly getting i guess the, the the parameters right then getting the testing correct mm. so you get within those parameters so you mm. and therefore applying those so yes. and actually perhaps um, certifying it properly, and we, we we can we can talk about that later. <laughs> that's always another issue. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a huge issue, isn't it? Do you, do you think um, that 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 those kind of things are, are important? And, yeah, and absolutely. Why? I mean, look, Section J can always be like you know, it's it's, it's, it's the same with any bureaucratic rule. Sometimes the rules are amazing, and other times yeah. they're a pain in the proverbial. Mm. Um, this one is an amazing directive of Section J, and it's been long overdue. And, you know, to make sort of uh, um, windows, doors and openings, which is taking it to the next level um, through the Section J sort of applications means that the whole industry standard goes up. And therefore, over time, um, you know, it, it becomes just the norm. And, uh, you know, like, like I think it's, it's, you know, Section J has really come about for energy efficiency and for... Um, you know, looking at certain areas where we can look at lighting and it's been a little bit more focused in different areas, but it's taking it one step further to look at how we actually install windows and what the performance is like of those windows and doors. Um, and so therefore, you know, sort of creating a higher threshold that we've got to, to work with. And I think, I think, you know, Section J this time around has, um, you know, is heading in the right direction. Not saying that they weren't before, but <laughs> they're more so now. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a good thing. Is that a, do you think that's a consensus amongst architects of Australia? Well, the ones that I've spoken to um, about because uh, I belong to a few architect groups, um, and you know we we've always been kind of whinging a little bit about how there hasn't been enough good product out there to meet the achievements that we want to meet. And so therefore, you know, if Section J had imposed something with that w where there wasn't a product available, that would just be incredibly annoying. Mm -hmm. But it's like the, the rule along with the product has come hand in hand. So, you know, we're, we're all pretty happy about it. Architectural Windows Systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia. Visit specifyaws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project. Would you say that applying this notion of a balance in feminine and masculine principles, um, you know, in, in, in how we design and build our residential structures would go some way 
in preventing at least some of the issues. I mean, to get away yes. from the whole the whole illegals, we know that we know that we know what they have to do, what they what they, what they should have been doing. <laughs> okay, but let's let's apply the, the principle that you talk about the the, the the feminine and the masculine. If we've applied those to how we build. I hope Harry Trubikoff listened to this, to how we build our multi-residential apartments. Would that fix some of these problems? Yeah, I, well, because the design process, as um, a lot of architects are aware, is not just once you finish the design, got the DA, done your construction documentation drawings. It actually is ongoing on site. Right. And, you know, sort of applying logic to retrofitting or variations. Um, and but implying intuitive logic because the logic is the masculine side and the intuitive side is there is has been seen by society to be more the feminine kind of aspect or energy even though you know i know many guys who are very deeply in, intuitive it's just more the principles as opposed to who the gender is but it's more bringing that to the table like we're doing a big you know sort of 17 million dollar project at the moment and we've had many changes along value engineering that we've had to bring both as aspects to the table to make changes as, as we've gone, even though we had c done all the construction documentation drawings to, you know, sort of 99% completion. And so the creative process or the architectural process finishes at practical completion um, and then the defects after that. So it, it doesn't stop. So those principles can be brought in all the way right to the end. And it's it's obviously the design principles and then you go into building principles but it's also the psychology behind masculine and feminine principles that you can bring into the process when you're actually on site and that's that's important as well because it's how you how you interact communicate deal with each other and you know bringing those aspects like you know if you're someone who just yells and screams at everybody all the time um, and I'm not saying that that's masculine but it has been seen to be more mm -hmm. masculine um, then you know basically what feminine aspects of dealing with communication on a building site can you can you bring in? Is it more um, negotiation in terms of sitting and talking things through? Um, and you know are you able to bring a sort of an intuitive approach to you know solving problems on site um, proactively rather than reactionary? So response you're responding rather than reacting. So there's different. There's positive and negative aspects to masculine and feminine, and it's like, let's look at above the line aspects we can bring to the table. So yes, there is. It's very much. A, it's a great question because um, I've always had a bit of a, um, I suppose. Well, myself and many architects have always had a bit of a whinge about the fact that we, at the big developers and the the DAs, that we always get cut out at the DA stage, and so therefore, you know. There's the, the, the builders for these bigger jobs, um, like some of the trigger boffs and some of those, and I shouldn't actually say that they don't do t construction documentation because, you know, they more than likely do. But some jobs we get cut out of that process and then corners are cut and then the client gets ordered down version and then variations come in and then the quality of the workmanship and the quality of the performance get diminished. Um, so, you know, it's like if we're going to look at compliances, like, say, Section J, we should look at compliances for, say, you know, architects and um, to ensure that a certain level of construction documentation is provided for certain size projects. And I think it'll, it'll serve the industry more because that's the frustration that we've had up until recently is that 
you know, you see something on site that you've you've um, detailed, and then the value engineering has come along to you know sort of monitor the budget or change it, and you need to make very good decisions very fast and um, serve the process. So, yeah, it's it's about when you get on site, it's more about decisions being made quickly, but it's also about um, communication and how you articulate those RFIs or those responses and also um, what decisions you're going to make on site. Like, you know, sort of a group of you s coming up together with um, a value engineering response that can save the client money, but it's also still creative. And, and I think that's where the magic can come in, 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 in that process. So it's like a, it's a sort of a psychological viewpoint, but it's also from articulating the, the design process right until the very day that you've done your last defects check. So it's, it's a, uh, people think that, you know, the project's over when you, mm. when you hand the keys over, but it's, it's not, you know. So, um, yeah, no, it is, look, for me, I've always been passionate about this subject because it's something I've recognised ever since a child and I've, you know, been many, many buildings, been lucky enough to travel, you know, live in the Bahamas and England and Australia and move to primary school many, many times. Um, and, you know, I think it's a, it's a very important or undervalued aspect of how we live. And interestingly enough, alchemy, um, hermetic principles and masculine and feminine architecture was, was actually or as a philosophy, was taught at Oxford and Cambridge universities up until the 16th, 17th century, mm. and the importance of it. And it was it, the sciences took over, so therefore it, it was you know pushed aside. Should architects be more involved in the whole process then? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Because like if you think about it, we're we're like the conductors in an in an orchestra. We're bringing the team together, and the lead violinist is the is the builder, and you know, we work in sync with each other. Right. So we're orchestrating the whole thing. And, you know, we're, we're bringing the creative process. We're, we're doing the six months of composition and, and bringing all the rehearsals, you know, for the orchestra to come in. And then on the, 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 the night of the orchestra where they, where they you know, the, the final performance, you know, that's when it all comes together. And what people are w witnessing is, is, is an amazing composition, beautifully played by the orchestra, but they haven't seen the six months of hard work and the, you know, the scenes behind, the arguments, the, you know, no, I'd like to do it this way, and, but this lead violinist is not right, let's get another lead violinist. And, y you know, they haven't seen all of that. So that's pretty much the creative process. And the architect really is, 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 the, is the composer or the, you know, the, the conductor right. and bringing all the parties together and with the vision and I think that's um, definitely we should definitely become more involved because then you get a far stronger result um, playing together as a team I mean you're not separate to them and you're not bossing them around but you are you know bringing them together as a team to create this end result what's your favorite building and don't say the Opera House <laughs> that's way too easy way too easy way too easy um, look there was a there was a building I went into, it was actually um, designed by Utzon, interestingly, it was in Denmark. Um, there was two actually, there was the Viking Ship Museum, which was just so simple and so phenomenal, just floating over the water with a Viking, old Viking ship in it and you could walk through it. Um, but the other one was designed by Utzon was in Bagsbad, which is a very humble, simple church. And you walk in there and you just, you feel at peace. Okay. 
And they, they would be my two favourites. And, you know, I've never been to Catherine House, Falling Water, but I can imagine it would be amazing. Mm-hmm. So one day I'll go there. One day. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that, Joe. It's all right. It's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. And, it, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and also a real eye-opener, I've got to say. Um, I really appreciate taking the time to speak with us today. I hope you have a lovely week. And Thank you. Um, until next time. Okay. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design, and until next time, goodbye.